Lord, with uh, the psalmist in Psalm 119, we come this morning declaring and confessing that by your precepts you give life. And we cry out, Lord, with that same psalmist, give us life by your word. Give us life by your precepts and commandments. That is our prayer as we open your word once more. Father, you are so good to us, and we pray as we look into your word now that we would see with our hearts and minds the big picture, your promises that have come true from start to way beyond us, Lord God, in time. Your, per, your record of keeping promises is 100%, Lord God, and we thank you for that. And we pray that we would be encouraged by your spirit now as we open this next part of Colossians together. Draw near to us, Lord God, be our God, be our, our counselor and comforter and encourager, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I wanna start with a fictional story. Chester woke up and it was time for breakfast. But since there were no eggs in his fridge, Chester then quickly took a trip down to his local depth to buy some eggs. And after eating the eggs, it was time for Chester to go to work. And since his workday started at 9 a.m. Chester then arrived at the bus stop at 8.10 a.m. After getting to work, Chester sat down at his desk. And since he still had some of yesterday's work files to work through, he'd start on those and then he'd get to today's pile. Well, Chester worked all day. And since his and since tomorrow would be another work day, he then went to bed in good time and had a decent rest. Well, Chester's day, like so many of our days, was built around a series of since then scenarios, with the since part driving what happens in the then part. Since my teenager needs to be picked up at nine, then I will leave the house at 8.45. Since my taillight is out, then I will go over to Canadian Tire to find a replacement bulb, and so on and so forth. Well, friends, in the next passage of our journey through Colossians, the Apostle Paul, I want you to see this, he lays on us a since then from God that applies to every believer for all of our waking hours. This particular since then applies today, June 25th, 2023. It will apply tomorrow. It will apply Tuesday, next week, next month, next year. It is a continual, perpetual since then that we must apply in every moment of our lives for God's glory and for our own great good. This morning we're into the third chapter of Colossians. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. Paul begins the chapter with the since then scenario. He says, listen to what he says, 
If then you, believer, have been raised with Christ. And the sense here of the Greek is, if you have been raised with Christ, which you have, believer, or we could viably translate this, as some English versions have, with the word since. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Now, now I want you to pause with me here for a moment. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Now, evidently, the word that Paul uses here, raised, what's he talking about? He's talking about resurrection, yes? But isn't the resurrection of our bodies in the future? Isn't it at some later point after we die? Yes, it is. Obviously, our physical resurrection has not happened yet. The resurrection of our physical bodies is not yet. So how can Paul talk here about our resurrection being past tense? Note his words carefully. Since you have been raised with Christ. He can talk that way because our resurrection, listen, our resurrection is already and it is not yet. At the same time, it is already and it is not yet. And of course, Paul has already written here in Colossians back at chapter 2, verse 12, about our resurrection being already. So the believer in Jesus Christ who is regenerated, made alive by the Spirit of Almighty God is already, we need to note, is already spiritually resurrected to life in the present age. And when Christ returns, the completion of our resurrection, the physical part is going to happen. As believers, we are already resurrected or raised with Christ, and we are not yet resurrected or raised with Christ. Resurrection, once again, friends, for the believer. Resurrection for the believer is already and not yet. Well, concerning the already part of a believer's resurrection, what has happened exactly to the believer. The Scottish pastor and theologian James Stewart, and I've quoted him several times here, not the movie actor from the 1940s, Scottish theologian, James Stewart described it like this. He said, raised with Christ, blessed truth, you have passed out of relation to sin, out of the hampering limitations of the present order, out of the domain of the world and the flesh into the realm of the spirit and into life, amen, that is life indeed. Into life that is life indeed. I'm gonna read that one more time because there's lots there. Stuart said, raised with Christ, you have passed out of relation to sin, 
out of the hampering limitations of the present order, out of the domain of the world and the flesh, into the realm of the spirit and life that is life indeed. My friends, the already resurrection that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ have experienced, it's nothing short of breathtaking. As John Woodhouse has put it, he says, it is difficult to imagine a more dramatic thing that could be said about a human life. It's difficult to imagine a more dramatic thing that could be said about a human life. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. My friends in Jesus, what happened to us is that God met us in our condition of spiritual death, in our state of spiritual lifelessness, our state of spiritual unresponsiveness, corpseness. He met us in our spiritual flatlining. And in his grace and in his power, he forgave us. He breathed into us. He raised us and made us alive with Jesus Christ. Isn't he worthy of our praise? Well, this is all the since part of the since then equation. Since then you have been raised with Christ. And now we come to really what is the then part, which Paul gives us in the rest of the verse. The then part begins with the word seek. If it's true, if it's true, believer, that you have already been raised with Christ, and it is true, since it is true, since God in his great power has raised you with Jesus Christ when you in no way deserved such a resurrection, then seek. Seek the things that are above. Now, I want to ask you a question. Think about your a- an average day in your life. What do you seek in an average day of your life. Generally speaking, I would say this, that we seek what really matters to us, whether it is good or whether it is for ill. So we seek good things like food and water to survive. We seek human affection. We seek financial compensation for the work that we do. But of course, we are also capable, aren't we, of seeking illicit things. Seeking things that our flesh wants, that are not necessarily good for us and might even be sinful. But the point is, human seeking for good or for ill is an active thing. It's an active thing. We pursue, we search out, we chase after things that we determine are important for us. Our seeking, in whichever direction it takes, our seeking becomes a massive part of our lives, actually, if you stop to think about it, a huge part of our lives and something that takes up a great deal of our time. Seeking. God here in his word, and remember, he's breathing out through the pen of the Apostle Paul, 
God in his word commands us, he commands you right now, to focus your seeking in this life in a particular direction. Our seeking, the Lord says, is to proceed by the indwelling power of the Spirit. It is to proceed on a specific trajectory. God commands, he commands the people that he has raised from the dead all by himself. He commands us to seek the things that are above. Now this command here, to seek, this command in the original language is what's called a present active imperative verb. I won't test you on that later. It means to continually seek. Keep seeking. So if you seek once, seek again, and then seek again, and then seek again, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, year by year, over the course of your entire life. Continually, we believers raised with Christ are to seek the things above. Now what's Paul telling us here? He's not telling us to go out each night and seek the stars above or seek the black holes that are theoretically above or seek signs in the solar system. He's not telling us to do that. That's not what he means. And likewise, Paul is certainly not counseling us to continually be seeking angels that might be in heaven like the false teachers had been doing that he talked about last week in our text. Nor is he wanting us to always be seeking sort of uh, marshmallowy, otherworldly, spiritual abstractions that might be above up there somewhere. Notice carefully, my friends in Christ, that the word of God is very particular and it is very specific. Paul writes, seek the things that are above, and then it's like he takes his camera lens and he focuses it for us onto a very specific pinpoint visual. He says, seek the things that are above. Where? Who is? Christ is, and what's Christ doing? Seated at the right hand of God. Wow. So the focus of our seeking is not on some vague, flabby conception or idea, spiritual bubblegum. The focus of our seeking is laser-pointed. It is Christ above. It is Christ in heaven. And not just Christ generally, but Christ seated at the right hand of God. Now, seekers living in 2023, this is so important. What does Christ being seated at the right hand of God mean exactly? What does this imply? Well, it means, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1. Jesus is the Lord, 
seated at the Father's right hand that David had prophesied hundreds of years prior. He's the fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1. His being seated in that place means what? That he is the exalted Lord, the ascended Lord, ascended there at the right hand of God following his crucifixion and his resurrection. Jesus is seated there in heaven at the right hand of the Father in a physical body that bears the wounds and the scars of his suffering. Jesus is seated there at the right hand of the Father with all authority. How much authority? All authority in heaven and on earth being given to him by the Father. The risen Jesus Christ is seated there in that position doing what? Ruling over every principality and power triumphant over sin, death, and the devil, sovereign and reigning as the King of kings and Lord of lords over all things, awaiting that great moment when he will return for us in great glory. God, writing through his apostle Paul here, commands us to seek continually Think of it, friends. We, we need to put this into practice to seek continually the breathtaking things of the exalted, magnificent Christ above. When you feel down, seek in this way. I, I think I'm competing with another person preaching somewhere. <laughs> it's okay, we'll have a preach-off maybe. <laughs> When you feel down, seek in this way. When you feel happy, seek in this way. After a fight with your spouse, seek in this way. When you're at Ultramar, when you're at Super C, seek in this way. Seek continually and constantly the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You have to live your life on this earth, right? Paying bills, picking up kids, going to the dentist, mowing grass, making meals, but all the while, whether you eat or drink or play or work, you must be seeking as a resurrected person this reality and this vision of the King of Kings in his position above all things, triumphant over all the powers that seek to harass you, authoritative over those powers, the battle already won. I wanna borrow and adapt the illustration of John Barr. So it's like this. I have Videotron at home Say I recorded a hockey game, my Oilers say, I recorded a hockey game on my video, Videotron device because my schedule didn't permit me to watch the game, which is probably a good thing anyway. But say I recorded this game, and I'm gonna watch it later, maybe the day after it was actually played. But in the meantime, somebody tells me the final score of the game before I have a chance to watch it on the recording, and my team won, it turns out. 
So now I know the final outcome of the game. But I watched the game anyway. And in the middle of the game, when it's tied up 3-3, I see that a player on my team takes a dumb penalty and puts his team down a man for two minutes. Now, as I watch the recorded game, do I worry at that moment that because of this penalty, the other team might score and, and my team might lose the game? Do I worry about that? Of course I don't, because I already know the final outcome. Yes? Despite the penalty situation, my team is going to win. My friends in Christ, a vision of Christ seated, exalted, risen and victorious over sin, death, and the devil, sitting at the Father's right hand in heaven. This is a vision we need to understand. You need to understand as your Monday starts tomorrow. This is a vision of the assured outcome. His victory is already an accomplished fact. Our team wins. And so whatever situation we might face in this life, it doesn't matter what it is, a worry, an anxiety, whether personally or looking at the global scene, the loss of somebody that we love, a tragedy of some kind, we know that it will all, all of it will be well. Do you know that? All will be well, why? Because Christ has overcome the world. The war is already over and he's won. And his rule and his authority and his promises, you need to understand, are sure things. They are sure things. So the reason that God commands us to focus the seeking of our lives on things above where the exalted Christ is, is because he loves us. His desire with this command is, is to lift us, is to help us, is to encourage us in our journey through this world. And it's a journey that he himself was very realistic about when he promised in this world you will have what? Tribulations. But be of good cheer for I have what? Overcome the world. Tail end of John 16. It's so important for us this seeking things above, that, that Paul now basically repeats himself in verse two. Notice how he repeats himself. Set your minds on things that are what? Above, not on things that are on earth. Interesting, now, now in verse one the verb was seek, we saw, now in verse two the verb is set your minds on, which has to do with thinking. And in fact, the Common English Bible has translated that, that way. They have this. Think about the things above and not things on earth. Think about. And once again, this verb in the original Greek, once again, this verb that we translate either set your minds on or think about, it carries that sense again of continual thinking. Keep thinking about. Continually think about. I think you would agree that as a human being, you're always thinking, right? 
you probably think more than you realize. What do you think about? Well, you think about all sorts of stuff in a given day. Paul wants our thinking, <laughs> like our seeking, to proceed in a particular trajectory. Set your minds on, think about things that are above, not things that are on the earth. Now, what do we do with this distinction here that he makes between thinking about things above versus thinking about things on earth? Now, is the command here, let's think about this, is, is this saying to us that, that we simply abandon thinking about the details of our lives on earth in favor of being 100% heavenly-minded. So like if I own a business, should I stop thinking about balancing my books, paying my employees, and securing product? And just focus instead on the purely spiritual. Or if I'm a stay-at-home parent, should I stop thinking about the details of raising my child so that he or she becomes a godly, flourishing citizen on this earth so that I can just focus only on heavenly stuff? Or if I'm a university student, should I stop thinking about sociology, psychology, biology, and focus instead completely and utterly on the spiritual? Is Paul telling us here to unplug totally from our creational earthly lives to focus solely and exclusively on what's above? No. In context, with, with the verses that follow in mind, especially Colossians 3, 5, the things that are on earth is a reference, listen, is a reference to fleshly, sinful, worldly desires and attitudes. It's these fleshly things that our minds must not be set on. In verse 5, Paul will refer to what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, he says. The person who has been raised with Jesus Christ, who is indwelt by the Spirit of God, is commanded in verse 2 not to think on, not to have his or her mind set on such things. Thinking and dwelling on things that are sexually immoral or covetous, for example, can issue so easily, so easily, into action that is sexually immoral or covetous. The spirit-filled person who has truly been resurrected by God must ask the spirit, must rely on, depend on the Holy Spirit to shape and focus and renew his or her thinking so that now there is this continual, perpetual thinking on things above. And again, didn't Paul already give us here that striking vision in verse 1 of what things above specifically are? To think on things above is to think on what? To think on the exalted Christ, 
to think on the resurrected Christ, to think of him sitting there bearing the wounds that saved us. Think on these things continually, each hour of every day. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in the sun, if you're washing your clothes, you're buying groceries, you're setting your table, you're paying your hydro bill. Might be hard to think on things above when you're paying a hydro bill. But still, the command is here. Our lives on this earth, however mundane they might be, a lot of us just live mundane lives. However mundane our lives might be, they must be centered on and focused on our king and on his reign and on his coming return. All of life is to be viewed from the perspective of Christ and his person and his work and his eternal kingship. To think on the things above is to bring the whole of our lives, every detail of our lives, into confrontation with Christ and his lordship. Seeing all of life in the light of the king, every assumption we make, every plan we make, every value that we hold, every goal that we have, every commitment that we have, all of it brought into engagement with the risen Jesus Christ under his lordship, amen? And so to think on things above is to assess the economics that we are studying, for example, or the literature that we are reading, or the history or the philosophy or the chemistry or the music or the sewing or the cooking that we're doing to assess all of it in light of Christ. To think on things above is to, to devote all of this to Christ, all of life to Christ who has given us new life. It is to let him shape our attitudes form our attitudes, our conclusions, our values in everything. Well, let's hasten on then to verse three. Paul's talking to you, believer. For you have what? Believer in Jesus, did you know that you already had your funeral? You have died. Are you a person who is in Christ? Yes? Then it is true. You've actually died. When Christ died on the cross for you, you died also. You died with him. And then on the other side of that very real death, God did what? He raised you, believer, to new life in Christ. And, Paul says, we sang it already this morning, your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. Now, we need to look at this. What does this mean exactly, believer? that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, on one level, we heard Paul talk about Christ's current location 
in verse 1. We heard him talk about that. The risen Christ is currently above in heaven, right? Seated at the right hand of the Father. So for the moment at least, Christ himself is physically hidden from our sight for the time being. To have our risen life hidden with Christ may mean that our life is hidden simply because it's with Christ who is himself hidden. But perhaps also by using this word hidden, Paul means that our risen life is safely concealed and protected by God. Our life is hidden with him and in him, meaning that our risen life is protected totally from the, dis- the, the destructive influence of Satan. Our risen life is safe and spiritually protected by the Lord. I think that that too may be in play here. Hidden with Christ in God has to do with his protection of our risen life. But then there are other, two other, actually two other shades of meaning that are also possible here. First of all, it's quite interesting that the Greek word that is translated as hidden here is the same Greek word that is used in the Greek version of Genesis 3 verse 8, which Paul would have known very well even as he wrote this letter to the Colossians. In in Genesis 3 8, Adam and Eve did what? They hid themselves from God after they fell into sin. They hid from God because of their sin. Now, with our sin being forgiven in Christ, blessed reality, we are hidden in God and not from him, his grace covering us. So perhaps hidden with Christ in God here in Colossians 3.3 is an allusion, a throwback to Genesis 3.8, and it has something to do here with our sins being covered by Christ. Well, there's also a final shade, (laughs) just to muddy the waters even further. A final shade of meaning here. When Paul talks here about our life being hidden with Christ and God, could he mean that the full spectrum of our life, new life in Christ, the, the full sweep, the full revelation of our identity as people in Jesus Christ is currently hidden even from us? Might Paul mean here that our current self-knowledge is not complete? For now, we don't know ourselves fully as we shall. There is a concealment. Might Paul be implying here that right now only God knows us fully, completely and totally and comprehensively from top to bottom, Why? Because he, after all, fashioned us. We are not our own, but he fashioned us and our full self-knowledge is his and it hasn't been revealed to us yet. I'm a mystery to myself every day. 
Well, friends, I think that all four of those meanings are in play here. Again, our risen life, just to summarize, is hidden simply because it's with Christ who himself is physically hidden. And secondly, our risen life is hidden in the sense of God personally protecting it from all harm. And then third, our risen life is hidden in God because of his forgiveness of the sin that previously made us hide from him. And then fourth, our life is hidden with Christ, hidden even from us. We don't fully comprehend our comprehensive identity in him. We don't know ourselves as we one day will. And I think that last possibility of not knowing ourselves fully as we will one day, of not being able to see at this point what is hidden about us, fits especially with our final verse this morning. Verse four, Paul says, he continues here, when Christ, read it with me, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul has labored in this letter to tell us that as believers, we have died with Christ, we have been raised with Christ, we are in Christ, and now he says we will appear with Christ. Our whole life from top to bottom is Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Christ, who is your life. In other places, Paul says essentially the same sort of thing when he says things like this, to live is Christ. Philippians 1.21, or Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ who is your life. Paul was living what Jesus had talked about when Jesus had said, I am the way and the truth and the Who says that? Jesus does. I am the life. Christ who is your life. Now, the word that the ESV translates as appear, twice in this verse, is translated in the New American Standard Bible and in the New Jerusalem Bible and in the Common English Bible as the word reveal. So in the 1995 NASB, the verse reads as follows. When Christ, who is our life, is what? Revealed, then you also, Christian, will be what? Revealed with him in 
glory. That, that great day is coming. It is coming when the risen and ascended Jesus Christ will return personally, yes? He will be revealed in astounding glory. And in that moment, Paul says, you also will be revealed with him in glory. And in that moment, Paul says, your comprehensive and full identity as people who are risen with him hidden right now from you, verse three, on that day, your identity will be comprehensively revealed. What is opaque right now, what is cloudy right now, clouded to you, na namely the sheer fullness of your risen life that he has already created, it will be revealed in full, blazing glory. Can you imagine it? Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. My friends, our passage this morning is built around this since then idea. Since Frank is a paramedic, then he is in a great position to perform CPR and administer an IV. Since Wanda is a hotel manager, then she must manage the hotel. Since you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is. Focus your mind on things above where Christ is. This week, I counsel you, be who you are, believer in Jesus Christ. Be who you are. Your identity is that you have died with Christ, you have been raised with Christ, and even if you don't yet fully grasp or understand your whole and complete identity in him, go into the world and be who you already are. Seek things above, think on things above. It's gonna change your life. It's gonna change your spirit and lift your spirit and God will be glorified. Let's pray together. Father, you are so amazing and good to us, giving us this word giving us this hope, giving us this vision of the end from the beginning, the victory already won, Christ already exalted and authoritative, which then funnels back into our day today. We know that nothing that we encounter in our days will change those glorious facts. We know where we are going. We know our identity in Christ, and we praise and thank you for raising us from a position of being dead in trespasses and sins, making us alive together in Christ. May we go this week and honor and glorify and magnify you in all our words, actions, and thoughts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.